Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, champions of quirky. This is Jason Grigla, and welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. I'm going to be talking to you tonight about something fairly personal to me. Those who know me closely know that I suffer somewhat from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and not in that cute way where everyone says, oh, your kitchen is so organized, you're so OCD. But believe me, I don't have that clean, organized type of OCD. Um, But I do have obsessive compulsive disorder. And it, at times of my life, it has been um, fairly disabling and has caused a lot of problems in my enjoyment of life. And so as I talk about about OCD and autism tonight, both are different forms of the neurodiversity umbrella. Um, OCD is the way the way the brain works, and there's no healing or solution or cure. Just like with autism and other neurodiversities, it's a physiological issue and not something you can fix. But like all issues we deal with, it can be managed and understood better. And tonight, I want to talk about the very strong link. Um, between OCD, autism, and also something called stimming, which is a third type of a seemingly obsessive compulsive behavior. So let me talk about these for a second. Uh, OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder, and it is a type of anxiety disorder, whereas autism is not an anxiety disorder. But many of those who have autism also have high anxiety and therefore have a higher um, prevalence of OCD as well. So specifically, OCD is obsessions, which are thoughts, repeated thoughts, urges, mental images that pop into our brains and create anxiety, fear, a feeling of not okay, not complete, broken. And then oftentimes we create compulsions, repetitive behaviors to deal with the feelings of the obsessions or the feelings that the obsessions cause. So we feel an urge to do the action as a solution to soothe or fix or placate the anxiety and the fears that come from the um, obsessive thoughts. Let me give you a couple of examples that are not related to autism, but specifically to OCD. Um, we had, I had a client come in. Um, she was a mother of a newborn baby, and the baby was about eight days old. And the mother came in because she was severely depressed and was having fears that she was schizophrenic. 
and her husband was also very concerned. They came in together with the newborn, and she explained that she was having strong desires to kill her baby and felt like it was almost voices or was voices telling her to kill her baby. And she was afraid that she was going to do it. And the husband was afraid because this was really not normal behavior for her. She desperately wanted to be a good mom. She'd always wanted to be a mom. And they were understandably traumatized. As I asked him some more questions, one of the questions I asked was, why, why would you want to kill your baby? And the mother said, it, it is the worst possible thing I could ever imagine. There's no way I want to kill my baby. I don't want to kill my baby. Um, I just can't stop thinking about it um, to the point where it is relentless and it's continues to come into my mind. And the more I'm afraid that I'm going to harm my child who I love, the more, the more I think about hurting the baby and the more I think I'm, I'm going to, and I must want to hurt my baby or I wouldn't be thinking about it all the time. And I had her go back to the very beginning when she started having her first thoughts. And she said, I was giving my baby a bath for the first time. And I had never imagined how helpless a newborn was. And as I was sitting there, um, holding the baby's head above the water for just a split second, I imagined what it would be like if I accidentally let go that the baby would slide under the water and absolutely drowned. And the mother imagined it. And once she imagined it, it stuck. The image of the baby that she loved more than anything in the world and her being the cause of the baby's death was so intense and traumatizing that it stuck. It stuck really strong. And then she couldn't get it out of her head. And the more she thought about it, the more afraid she became and the more anxious she became. And the thoughts just kept coming back and back and back because she had obsessive compulsive tendencies that she didn't recognize. A big part of that situation, I think, was the, the hormones that come... Um, postpartum or after the baby is born um, a mother's hormones are all over the place their chemicals are all over the place and if someone has a predisposition to OCD then a traumatic experience or an emotionally chemically induced um, situation can easily bring on um, OCD symptoms and I I really did a lot of good assessment to ensure that it wasn't schizophrenia and that she didn't actually want to hurt her baby but nonetheless, the OCD thoughts were there, and she was so afraid that she would actually hurt her baby to get rid of the thoughts that we had to do a very drastic intervention. And it worked, and she was a good mother after that, and everything turned out okay, but it took her a long time to learn to be okay with the fact that it was OCD and not that she wanted to hurt her baby, which was really scary for her to think about. Um, with her, medication helped, counseling helped, time and practice and experience helped. Um, but when it comes to um, a typical brain, they can usually think about nuance and reflect well on the past and on the future. They have better ability for insight, usually, than someone who's um, autistic or neurodiverse. 
And so therapy and cognitive behavioral therapies do work better or have a benefit or an effect because they start to learn to understand why they're having thoughts and how to control those thoughts and manage the emotions and the impulsive thoughts that pop into their head. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Another example of OCD, so you get an idea of what it's like, um, a, young, a young man came in with suicidal ideations and was afraid um, that he might take his own life, which is fairly common. I didn't think much of it. Um, he was about 23. And as he sat there describing why he had come into therapy, he didn't seem depressed in the least. There was no signs of depression. There was a lot of anxiety. And I, I finally stopped and I said, well, so hold on a second. Why do you want to kill yourself? Why are you suicidal? And he said, I don't want to kill myself. I, I, I don't want to at all. It's like the worst thing I could ever think of. And I started having him explain what he was going to do to try to take his own life. And he said, I, I was driving down the road and I imagined for a second that I opened my door and what it might be like to jump out. And just as I jump out, a car passes on the other side, going the other direction and hits me really hard and kills me. And so every time I'm driving down the road now, I can't stop thinking about opening the door and killing myself. His motive was never suicide. His, his motive was actually trying to stay alive. And the more intense the traumatic thought of opening his door and killing himself was, the more that thought stuck and became obsessive. And then he was afraid that his compulsion would be to kill himself to get it over with. Um, in return, instead of opening his door and jumping out and killing himself, he had started to drive only in the far right-hand lane, and he couldn't drive in the left lane if there was, um, you know, if there was two two roads going the same direction. And he avoided all single-lane roads if at all possible, and so that became his compulsion. He would spend lots of time figuring out how to avoid driving next to oncoming traffic. So that's obsessive compulsive disorder and, and with counseling and, and medication, he was able to overcome it and start to understand how his brain works. So there are a few common factors with OCD. The first one is that something really intense gets into our head and it's usually something very disturbing that causes a lot of fear and almost a feeling of being aghast. And that typically can trigger a big onset of OCD. Now in my life, I had a lot of forms of OCD, including thoughts and especially the compulsions as I was younger, I didn't recognize the intrusive thoughts that were repetitive, um, but I would often have behaviors that I was using to manage anxiety, even though I didn't actually understand I was having obsessions. Um, another common trait with OCD is intense personalities. People who think a lot, um, kind of like what I would consider a race car brain, not your normal typical station wagon um, truck or small SUV, but like a NASCAR with a huge, powerful horsepower engine. And it's thinking, 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 and it's always looking for something to think about that is important or intense. So uh, there's several types of, of thoughts 
some of them are acting on compulsions to check things, wash your hands, lock doors, uh, move objects, put objects in certain orders, redo things like your zipper, um, seeking out symmetry. Like if you tap on your left, you have to tap on your right. Or if you step on the left crack, you have to step on the right crack or um, all kinds of different things that happen in your head. Another type is seeking assurances from loved ones or friends that you're okay, that, that did I actually make a mistake? I need you to make me feel better about my obsessive thought that I did something wrong. Um, and doing a lot of research to try to prove that what you did was right or what you said was right or what you were thinking was okay. Another one would be avoiding triggers that could cause anxiety. So they might obsess about possible future situations like being in crowds where you could have social interactions that go wrong or walking around things or avoiding areas where accidents could happen. And um, for example, having a phobia about riding in an elevator um, is an anxiety based disorder, but can come with a strong obsessive compulsive component. Um, and the last area is mental compulsions, like repeating words just because your brain wants to continue in patterns and the longer the pattern goes, the more complete or, or finished it feels. So as far as commonality with OCD, it affects about one in 42 adults to as many as one in 80 adults, according to studies. So if we have that, then it's like one in 60, which is about what? Three, um, no, probably one and a half to two and a half percent of the population has OCD. Um, when it comes to children, it's about one in a hundred. So one percent. So one study found that nearly two thirds of people with OCD had major symptoms before the age of 25. So these are people that, that had OCD and may either recognize it or didn't recognize it by the age of 25. Also, if someone in your family has OCD or someone in your close family history or family tree has OCD, then there's a 25% chance that another close immediate family member will also um, develop OCD. Um, half of adults with OCD, 50% had serious impairment in their life because of their OCD. One third had moderate impairment. And that leaves 15% of adults with OCD who had mild impairment or um, caused problems in their life. It actually affects males in onset cases much more than females. Most females are diagnosed after age 10, whereas a, a lot of males are diagnosed um, before age 10. Now, when it comes to OCD and autism, this is more interesting and and there's a lot of reasons why they're related and why I'm talking about it today. The first one is that if someone has OCD, then the likelihood that they have a child with autism is actually increased. So if one of the parents has an intense personality that has anxiety type features, then they're more likely to have autism as well. Um, so individuals also who were first diagnosed with autism were twice as likely than the rest of the population to get diagnosed with OCD later. later. And this one's actually more interesting to me. 
individuals diagnosed with OCD first, they were actually four times more likely to have a diagnosis of autism later. So I, I think we recognize OCD first and then autism comes later, uh, which is the most common um, scenario. So the relationship between OCD and autism at first glance may not be a really clear connection. But when you look closer, there's actually a lot of bridges and relationship between the two. So the overlap um, and the studies indicate that about 84% of autistic people have some form of anxiety, um, which as, is way higher than the, than the normal population, the typical population. And 17% of autists have OCD as compared to one and a half to two and a half percent of the typical population. So that's like five to seven times more likely to have OCD than a neurotypical brain. Um, so the, the overlap, it, it, it's because of a few things. The, the first might be misdiagnoses and things like OCD rituals. They can resemble repetitive behaviors common in autism, which we call stimming or other behaviors that are just interesting and childlike. Um, and also a lot of autistic behaviors can look like OCD. So a lot of times people might think it's one or the other or both. Um, it's increasingly evident though that people have both conditions and they're very separate in how they show up and why they show up. And that's a really important factor. Um, why does someone do an obsessive or compulsive? Why do they have obsessive thoughts or compulsive behaviors? determines whether it's OCD or something like autism. Here's some of the reasons. Those with autism have more anxiety and the higher the anxiety, the more likely our brain is to fixate on obsessions that cause stress and fear. Kind of like that intense thought that becomes intrusive that we can't let go of because their anxiety is high and they have a hard time figuring out how to lower their anxiety. Lack, lack of understanding on how to manage their fears or insecurities um, causes higher anxiety and, they're more, and therefore more obsessing. Also, a lot of OCD people, excuse me, a lot of autistic people perseverate, meaning they like to think about the same things over and over and over. Part of it feels soothing, consistent. It's what they're interested in. And so um, that can cause a lot of obsessing and then turn into an anxiety, fear-based compulsion. Um, another similarity or bridge is that people with autism tend to want things in a certain way that feels right. And some of that rigidity, that black and white thinking leads to more anxiety and obsessing. And that's a really great definition of what OCD is. It didn't feel right. It felt off. It felt wrong. So I had to retie my shoelaces three or four times. I wanted it to be exactly right. Now that could just be autism or it could be OCD. And it takes a lot to, um, to figure out the differences. And to be honest, maybe it doesn't matter which one it is. Either way, if you have to retie your shoes five or six times, it causes problems for the child or the adult that's dealing with it. Um, 
So also when it comes to managing emotions, including anxiety, I think autists have a harder time having insight and controlling thoughts, which helps us manage our emotions. Um, it's harder to, to manage OCD if OCD comes when you're autistic because it's hard for someone to see the big picture and see the reality that what you're feeling isn't necessarily reality. Um, and it's hard for all of us to do that. Someone with autism uh, might have an, an, an even harder time recognizing the difference. And then, then some of these repetitive behaviors. So let's talk about stimming for a second. Stimming is the behavior that someone who is autistic does when they are having a lot of emotion, including pleasurable emotions like excitement and happiness and joy, um, anticipation, and a, co a common one would be flapping their arms like a bird, um, which looks like a compulsive behavior, but there's no obsession going on that they are using the flapping of their arms to manage. They're just simply having a really physical, um, corporal reaction to emotion, which is pure and has nothing to do with anxiety. So stimming, although annoying and socially unacceptable um, to most people, isn't OCD in any way, shape, or form. Um, especially when you find them being happy and the stimming comes out big where they're hopping around or skipping a lot. Um, if someone's pacing back and forth because of anxiety, that looks very different than a child who's imagining lots of great things and they're skipping around the room like 20 times in a row because it feels good to do the same consistent behavior, but they're actually happy. Um, compulsions are based in blocking or curing stress and anxiety and, and stimming is more about I'm doing something that feels good in the moment and it really has nothing to do with what I'm afraid of or anxious about um, or what I need to happen. It's just something I'm doing in the moment. Very, They're very present. So the motivations are very different with stimming than OCD, even if some of the behaviors look the same. Um, Professor Temple Grandin, who many of you may know, she said, most kids with autism do these repetitive behaviors because it feels good in some way. That's totally different than I'm, I can't stop thinking about something's wrong and I need to fix it. So another area of obsessive, uh, obsessive traits is something called perseverating. Perseverating is what we do, typically thoughts, where we rethink thoughts over and over and over, which is different than obsessions. Um, there are perseverating behaviors as well which could be a type of stimming, actually, or stimming would be a type of perseverating behaviors. They're uncontrolled repetitions or continuations of some response. It's like a movement or a word or a thought that continues after whatever prompted the response is no longer relevant. And they may not even be thinking about it, but their body just keeps doing the same um, redundant movement because it just feels good to keep doing what they were doing. Maybe they're trying to to slough off energy and emotion, um, but either way, it's not based in anxiety, fears, or a problem. So they overlap in that they are odd, they are nonsensical, and they're socially unacceptable, and yet they're completely different in their motives.
So a lot of our loved ones stim. A lot of them perseverate, which can turn into OCD if their perseverating turns into anxiety with fears. And also compulsions can be mistaken for stimming or perseverating behaviors when really it's OCD going on. Understanding the difference is important because of how we manage the two. With stimming, the last thing I want to do is cut off the excitement and pleasure and enjoyment and happiness that someone is having. And stimming is simply their way of laughing out loud with their body. And I would never want to discourage that or knock it down. However, if they have enough insight and they really want to have friends and be socially acceptable, you may want to talk to them about how others might see or view stimming and that if there's a way for them to be excited and happy without being be putting yourself into a situation where you are rejected by others who are afraid of your, quote, odd behaviors, unquote, um, then maybe they would choose to hold back their stimming until it's appropriate or only do it around people where they know that they're acceptable. Um, or maybe they could spend some extra time explaining and teaching why they do what they do so that other people understand it and might be less um, judgmental about it. But when it comes to OCD, OCD can be a nightmare. It can be completely paralyzing and stop all forward development and functionality. And when that happens, you can't just say, well, it's just autism because it's not. OCD is its own thing. And one of the ways I like to describe OCD to clients that I think I'll take a second to explain to you is imagine that a dragon appears at your farm and starts wreaking havoc, blowing fire in your crops, breaking down fences and tearing your chimney off your off the top of your farmhouse. And because it's doing damage, you run out and you get your, your sword and your arrow and your pitchfork or whatever you have, and you start attacking the dragon and fighting it to slay it. But as soon as you look at the dragon and start attacking it and trying to control, kill, or, or fight the dragon, the dragon grows bigger. And the more you fight it, the bigger the dragon goes until at last you are completely spent, you're shot, there's no more energy, you give up, you quit, you lay on the ground completely defeated, and you kind of go into a dream or you think about other things because you can't win and you become um, helpless and hopeless. But regardless of what you're thinking about, you're no longer focused on the dragon. And that's when the dragon leaves. And you're thinking, oh, the dragon left. And if you stand up and look at the dragon where it's flying away and you shake your fist and say, I've got you, I beat you, you're not coming back. It comes right back and attacks you again because you gave it time and attention and energy and emotion. Until you're beaten again and you give up and you sit down on the ground and fold your arms and lay your head in your, your folded arms and, and you give up and you quit thinking about fighting the dragon and then it actually leaves. But then the next day it comes back because your brain has that natural habit of thinking about the scary big 
thing that is stuck in your brain and then you go try to fight it and it grows bigger and it does more damage until you give up or break and quit and then it flies away and after a while you actually learn that the more I focus on the dragon the more I try to control my obsessions the more I try to think about or think through or fix the intrusive thoughts that are coming with some type of trick the more I'm actually throwing gasoline on the fire and helping the dragon get bigger. The only solution to OCD and fighting the dragon is to quit fighting the dragon. And when the dragon comes to do damage, you turn your back on it and you go and you actually work in the cornfield. And when it comes into the cornfield and starts thrashing around and, and blowing fire and trying to get you to fight it, you walk away and turn your back on it and you actually go into the vegetable patch and start weeding the vegetables. And if it comes there and does more damage, you walk into the house and start baking bread and it'll huff and puff for a while. But eventually, the more you focus on making the bread, you'll realize that the dragon is gone. And because the OCD brain immediately thinks, I wonder where the dragon went. As soon as we look for it, it comes back. Learning to manage OCD is very much like walking away from the fight, which is a very Eastern philosophy. The Western philosophy approach would be fix it, control it, fight it, beat it. And the Eastern philosophy would be the dragon's here. I can't kill it. I can bake bread. I can fix my wall that it knocked down yesterday, but I'm not going to give it any of my time and energy. I'm just going to be at peace with me and my surroundings. And that's when the dragon shrinks and disappears Another way to look at OCD and manage it is to always have something more important than the fear to think about, which is easy to say and hard to do. If your intrusive thought, your compulsion is that I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill my baby, it is really hard to find other things more important than that. But you can, and it takes practice. It becomes really hard to do that if someone has an autistic brain or an ADHD brain because their thoughts tend to be in control more than our consciousness and our ability to reflect has control over our thoughts, um, which is why autists tend to be more impulsive and reactionary um, because they don't have that pause button where they can stop and reflect and decide how to react very well. They can do it and they can learn to do it, but it takes more time and more practice and more effort. So for example, someone who can think about um, a favorite memory or an activity that they're planning that is really fun and exciting that's coming up, if the dragon or the intrusive thought comes to fight and they can just switch and talk about, think about, and focus on something that matters more then the fear-based intense thought, then the mind doesn't need the obsession and it stays focused on the thing that is more important. But that takes practice and maturity and experience. The other part is to learn that it's okay that our brains are different and that OCD and, and autism, for that matter, are just what they are. Uh, they're not necessarily horrible. They're not necessarily great. They're just what they are. And everybody has their problems in life. Learning that, yeah, it's just OCD and recognizing it for what it is helps the anxiety go down and the obsessions go down and therefore the OCD becomes better managed. So with practice 
and maturity and experience and some grieving and acceptance that my brain works differently. Autists and obsessive compulsive disorder people are more at peace, more calm, more in control, and more mature. And that can come with a lot of information, which could come from counseling, but counseling would be more directive counseling as opposed to helping the person have insight about why are you so stressed? Um, and that's not necessarily helpful, but giving these specific tools can be helpful. Another thing is medication. You can't medicate for OCD because your brain is the way it is, but you can medicate for anxiety, which triggers the way your brain reacts. And if you can manage anxiety through some type of mood stabilizer or antidepressant, like an SSRI or an SRI, most people with OCD get some benefit from taking a medication. Now, the right medication, the right dose of medication is a totally different story. Male and female is different. Whether you want to gain weight or lose weight, you know, gain more sex drive or less sex drive is all um, a discussion to have with a doctor about medications. So medications is is fine. Um, two, two things that work really well with autists. First, manage the anxiety by managing the environment that they are in, the expectations, the people, um, the sensory overload, anything that could cause the anxiety. But be aware that loneliness could be just as big of a problem for anxiety as, as being in a crowd of people could be. So you have to know the person. Sometimes anxiety goes up if they're all alone, and sometimes it goes up if they're with too many people. Sometimes it goes up if they have to talk. Sometimes it goes up if they don't have anyone to talk to. Anxiety is the key to understanding how to manage OCD and managing the environment, their schedule, and those types of things where you actually can measure the emotional units they are spending in a day. Um, and we've talked about emotional units before. Instead of managing how many hours a day they work or have things they need to do, you really have to manage the emotional units that are spent because every autist is different. So just like us, everything causes different amounts of anxiety. Uh, the same situation for two different people requires more emotional units for each one. We already talked about meds. Um, the last one is just experience and time. If if someone throws a big heavy load on your shoulders and you can't take it off and it's there to stay, like getting OCD or having it come out, you're going to have a hard time for a while. It's going to suck. But honestly, if you've learned to carry around a heavy backpack, you stop noticing it. You start focusing on the things you can control and enjoying the moments and not letting that big heavy weight on your shoulders destroy your quality of life, which comes with acceptance and maturity and experience and in some ways a, a grieving of the life you had before you had a big heavy weight on your shoulders. Um, and that just takes more time for someone with autism or neurodiversity than others. Um, and I think in this case, ADHD and autism are very similar in their struggles to manage OCD, but both are like, more likely to have OCD than um, the typical population um, for all the reasons we've discussed. If your child is just stimming, I hope that you will recognize that they are happy 
and compulsive in their physical behaviors. And I hope you don't throw a wet blanket on that bright light. Nothing makes me happier than seeing someone enjoying life. At the same time, it's really hard to be watching a movie and right in the most romantic part, the very end of the movie, someone sitting next to you starts to giggle out loud really obnoxiously because they can't handle the emotion of the situation and they start clapping their hands at exactly the wrong moment. So that's why sometimes I can't take my son to the movies depending on the movie. Um, and other times it's better just to stay home and watch it on Netflix or, or Amazon prime. Um, and then if they have OCD, telling them to stop is the worst thing that you can do or one of the worst things you can do because it loads shame. It causes more frustration and fears because they can't control their obsessions or compulsions. It really is helpful to have patience and understanding and distract them from whatever it is they're obsessively thinking about and give them something better, more intense, but positive to think about. So I like distraction. I like doing physical things like hugs, tickles, um, scratches, uh, swimming, um, a hot shower, a cold shower, eating an ice cream, going for a run, bouncing on the trampoline as fast as they can for 60 seconds. Uh, anything that will take their mind off of the scratched record in their brain that keeps worrying about something really hard and bad. Those are a few a few things I recommend, including medication. And I'm not a big fan of medications until I am. And so I wish nobody needed them. And I'm also very grateful they're there for the situations where the benefits far outweigh the downsides of a psychotropic medication. So OCD stimming is more common in, in people with autism and ADHD and other anxiety disorders. It's just what it is. And because they're autistic, it's harder to manage it. It's harder to curb it and stop it before it gets too bad. So one more example, we had a student come to our school who could not stop thinking about taking a knife and cutting themselves and hurting themselves and even killing themselves. And the last thing he wanted to do was use a knife to do that. But for a while, we had to remove all the knives from the apartment so that he could relax and go to bed. But once we removed the knives, this is pretty common with OCD. He then imagined wrapping a towel or a curtain in the bathroom around his neck and hanging himself. And he couldn't stop thinking about that. So we had to remove those for a few nights until he could get on top of his anxiety and get them under control. And someone needed to, act, to physically sleep in the room with him so he could know that someone would stop him from hurting himself. That's when he could relax and get some sleep. So providing that extra support temporarily was really helpful. And it took about three weeks. And then he said, I don't need you to sleep in the room with me, but can I call you if I need you? And because he had a plan, he, his anxiety stayed low because he knew he had some way to deal with it. And then the OCD didn't come back. And then a month later, he, he said he was ready to have the knives and the curtains put back. And so we did. 
and he was good until his college semester got really stressful and midterms came up and a lot of papers and assignments were due at the same time. And then his anxiety came back. There's one benefit to OCD that I can see. And the benefit itself is that when your OCD comes back, it's a barometer that's telling you you're overwhelmed, slow it down, manage your life better. It's a barometer and a tool that I use it now that I'm older, but when I was younger, OCD tossed me around and controlled me way too much. But now if my OCD starts to come back, I'm like, oh, my body's telling me that I am overwhelmed and stressed and I'm going to do something about that because I really don't have a choice. I either let my OCD run full uh, full speed into my life again, like a dragon coming down to attack and I... I fight it or I turn my back on it and just decide, yep, yeah, I don't want OCD and I don't want too much stress, so I'm going to slow down. Um, I can't choose that I have OCD, but I can choose how to manage it. And I do use OCD as a barometer and a red flag that I am too stressed and too much is going on. And I think that can that can be used the same with anyone that we love with OCD, autistic or not. That's what I have to share with you today is you can manage OCD. It is different than perseverating behaviors or thoughts, and it is different than stimming. Medications helpful. Informative or directive counseling can be helpful when someone tells them what to do or how to do it. But just know it's harder and takes longer to learn to manage OCD when you are neurodiverse. I hope that those of you who are struggling with OCD find the information that you need. There's a lot of really good books out there about OCD. Also, there's a lot of good books in the last five years about OCD and autism because of their um, high connection rate. Um, I don't have any specifically that I would tell you because I think they're all good. Well, there's a lot of good ones and they all have different tools, approaches that are beneficial but information is really helpful. Learning to accept your OCD and your neurodiversity is always helpful. Thanks for joining me, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. 